podcasting world, and welcome back to another episode of the Core Consults RX podcast. My name is Mike Corvino. With me, as always, Cole Swanson. Cole, what's going on, man? Doing great. Ready for another late night session. I know. It's 10, 24 p.m. right yes. now. Yes. Getting it in before the end of the month. Yes. Trying to. Got to meet our quota on numbers. <laughs> right. Got to get them all. We cram them in. It's fine. Yeah. It's good. It's whatever. But uh, yeah, so we got uh, one more day left tomorrow in the month, mm-hmm. and uh, this this month already set a new record yes. by a lot for downloads. So, so thanks, guys. Y'all yes, awesome. Thank you all for actually listening to us. We're we are as stunned as you are that every you day listen to it. I don't get it. But uh, yeah, I've even gotten some uh, emails recently, and some even the ones that have been like giving us some information, like like correcting some of the stuff we mm-hmm. said. They've all been like super cool and supportive about it i'm fine with being correcting i feel like we got corrected more at the beginning than we do now yeah at least i felt like i was correcting myself like on the next episode more than i do now yeah i mean i'm we definitely still say some stupid stuff it could be i just don't care as much as i used to maybe (laughs) i'll just say whatever i want you know yeah i mean who cares get a podcast when you're a student i think you're a lot more worried about getting stuff right yeah no i I think uh i think we mess up most when we take on a subject that's like way out of our scope of it's about eighty percent of the time. Yeah, so you know, I'll take those odds any <laughs> day of the week. Oh man, so we don't have like an actual full-on topic for you guys today. So um, we're actually going to cover a, a patient case. So we do these every once in a while. Um, a lot of times we cover some of the same disease states, mm-hmm. but review is good. Yeah, you know, it seems, it, it almost, when you hear it, like, oh, we're talking about um, diabetes or uh, post-MI or something like that, again, it sounds redundant, but there's so much to these, especially diabetes, it really can't be reiterated enough. Plus, I feel like we take a different angle every single time we talk about a patient case, anyway. And these are real people, so pretty practical. Yes, there's a patient that uh, I saw this week, and uh, so, yeah, we're going to kind of go through some of it and see what we think. Yes. Um, so kind of starting off, uh, 57 year old Caucasian female, um, came to the clinic for diabetes education primarily. Um, she was referred to me from her PCP, um, to manage her diabetes and, uh, look at her pharmacotherapy, um, as well as kind of just overall pharmacotherapy management as well. And, um, we will kind of, I'm going to skip a lot of stuff for time sake, but to give you the general gist, you know, the first thing she said was that 98% of the time she takes her medications. So it was, I was pumped that she gave me just solid, um, perfect answer of 98%. It's hard to calculate, but she hit it right on there. <laughs> um, it, uh, 20, 29 and a half. Uh, times a month. Yeah, she's super confident. Yeah. Um, and then uh, she really wants to stop some of her medications. So that was her other thing. She was like, I really want to come off of some of this. Um, you know, past medical history, she's got hypertension, um, reduced ejection fraction, heart failure, diabetes type 2. She's got asthma, um, neuropathy, osteoarthritis, insomnia. She has had an MI back in 2014 and uh, is still a current smoker. Smokes a pack of cigarettes per day. Great. Yes. Um, A1C, because she takes her medicine every day. Um, A1C today is a 9.5, and blood pressure was 172 over 91. Um, so wasn't super thrilled about that. Not thrilling. Um, it's been above 9, um, actually 9.5 in January. Um, it's been then since that January this year and going further back as well. But uh, blood pressure has always been higher than 160 
So she's been uncontrolled with just those two things alone. Um, also, she's been using her albuterol rescue inhaler because it's the only thing she has at this point. Uh, been using it four or five times a week, and mm. it's been a cost issue as far as getting anything else. But she, yeah, she doesn't um, doesn't use anything except albuterol by itself. Um, medications, she is on glyburide, pioglitazone. She is on insulin, Lispro, or Humalog. Three times a day, she's using 15 units with each meal. She's taking Levomir, 15 units twice a day. Um, and she's taking Atorvastatin, 40 milligrams. She's taking Metoprolol, Succinate, 50 milligrams. Losartan, 100. Uh, Lasix, 40 milligrams as needed. Taking Plavix, 75 milligrams. Aspirin, 81 milligrams. The albuterol, like I mentioned, she's taking 50,000 unit uh, vitamin D once a week, taking gabapentin 600 uh, TID, taking trazodone 100, two of them every night, using Flonase, um, two sprays in each nostril twice a day, and uh, Celexa and Diclofenac for the osteoarthritis. Nice. So, um, so that's pretty. You know, it's pretty standard stuff, man. Yeah. Like it's unfortunately, this is this is what it looks like. Well, the unfortunate part is actually took out some of the meds she was on just for time sake, yeah. so we can talk about <laughs> right. this. But yeah, she, there was actually more than that. But I was, uh, you know, like I said, she was there, supposed to be there for just primarily diabetes management. But when you see a disaster like this, sometimes you have to mess around a little bit. So. Funny thing is, you can you can go in and find like a reason for it all, mm-hmm. most of it, all but one. Um, but it's just not highly justifiable it seems yeah for sure so looking at her i guess the first thing i would do is prioritize um so her a1c is above goal Uh, it's floated around 9.5 for the last few months blood pressure is also well above goal too fortunately we'll be able to um kind of kill a couple birds with one stone um with that as well there's obviously a lot of stuff you could change with her you already mentioned the cost is an issue so you got to keep that in mind but um, hopefully we would kind of take it take it reasonably slow and um, not do like 10 things at once, have her follow up relatively soon, make another switch, and uh, keep it going like that. Yeah. And, you know, that being said, the clinic that I work at is a uh, – does have a 340B pharmacy. So we have meds cheaper than she would – much cheaper than she would be able to get somewhere else. So we were able to work with her with the prices. So we'll talk about that as we go. Who but, can get – meds from you just do they have to qualify for 340b no anybody can they just have to um be seen in our clinic so, so one of our providers be- has to see them and prescribe it they can't go see someone from an outside provider bring mm. in the prescription and have the pharmacy fill it so it's who a, can see y'all's providers anyway. anybody yeah we Is have some right? people that are you know wealthy that live on the battery and they just come there because it's convenient and we have other people that are homeless so it's completely broad spectrum yeah it's pretty cool that is pretty cool yeah i don't know that yeah in it's 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 a really uh, fun place to work. So like, it's not just like low income, no insurance. No, 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 no. no. Okay. There's plenty of there's a bunch of uh, MUSC students that come through. Oh yeah, yeah, because it's I mean in my opinion better than going to the uh, <laughs> the uh, student you know med yeah or whatever you call it, like student clinic student or student health student yeah health, that's yeah. the word I'm looking for yep. Um, okay, so diabetes first. Yeah, let's might do as it. well. Yeah, yeah. So she's on gliburide. Meh. She's on Actos. Meh. And she's on uh, Humalog and Levomir. Um, it seems to be adherent, uh, as far as we can tell. Um, we know we don't love um, sulfonylureas in diabetes. Um, high risk of 
hypoglycemia, potentially increases uh, risk for heart events long-term. She's already post-MI. Um, also, Actos concerns with um, worsening heart failure, um, like other drugs in its class, rosiglizone, very bad in heart failure. So for those two, we probably want to look into going ahead and switching, right? Right. Yeah, and the you know if you look at the new ADA guidelines from 2019, they have the the two medications that they do recommend if cost is an issue, um, would be sulfonylureas and TZDs. That being said, you know this luckily we were able to see her at our clinic so that we could get her much better medications for something that she could afford. Um, but that's you know an option that a lot of people don't take advantage of. Either they just don't go see the physician or they stay with their primary care doc. Um, that's not able to get them cheaper drugs instead of finding patient assistance because there's definitely a lot of programs besides ours um and then a lot of the drug manufacturers now which we had to utilize for her which you know we'll talk about but um one of the uh drug manufacturers actually got one of her medicines for for free and they paid for it so oh, good. there's a lot of different things um nova nordisk lily a lot of them have patient assistance programs yeah and as far i mean even as far as you know um cost issues go Metformin is a very easy thing to add on here, which right. generally I would consider that an extremely low-cost drug, close to the sulfonylureas and probably cheaper than Actos for the most part. Right. Um, and it added on to insulin has been shown to reduce insulin requirements and um, improve A1C long-term too. Yeah, and uh, it if you look at like the home trial, which I think is what you're referring to, um, they actually had as much as 19 units that they could decrease the insulin dose when they added metformin. Um, as well as preventing, you know, MI and stroke, which she's already at high risk for since she's yep. already had an MI. And so uh, I think metformin for her would be very ideal. Right. Um, she has a lot of health issues, obviously, but she's only 57. Um, you know, it's hard to calculate what her tenure life expectancy is because, um, you know, we're now we're just now getting her on some of the medications that she should be on. But it's uh, hopefully we can prolong prolong her life and you know, make sure we can get the full benefit out of that metformin. Right. And some of the other drugs we decided to use. Yep. Um, all right. So the other thing is, is if you, we looked at her, um, her blood glucose log and to give you a couple of examples, it looked like Sunday morning she had, for example, uh, two seventy five, and then before lunch that same day she had one twenty seven, and then before dinner it was two Oh three. Um, on Tuesday she had a fasting in the morning of two eighty. Before lunch, it was 68, and then before dinner, it was 165. Um, Friday, just to give you another example, it was 310 in the morning, 145 uh, before lunch, and then 212 um, at, at dinner time. And the next morning, it was 254 again. So, hmm. so it seems um, like fasting, big issue, right? Before dinner, big issue, some lows around lunchtime, exactly. And kind of the more we kind of prodded the questions found out that she was using the 15 units with each you know quote-unquote meal but wasn't necessarily eating breakfast so that was one of the problems Mm. um, because she would be high in the morning so that was kind of covering her even though she was not eating with her insulin not that kind of high um right it was her blood sugars were high and so it was bringing her down to you know before lunch however it was sometimes taking her too low because she didn't, she wasn't consuming any carbs at that point. Um, and then that being said, she would miss her dinner time dose sometimes. 
And so a lot of times she would be eating, plus the diet was a whole separate issue. <laughs> we won't even go into some of that right now, but um, her diet was not the, the best. And so, you know, she's eating a high carb lunch. That's the insulin's not carrying her over to the dinner time. And then she was not taking her insulin at dinner. Um, so it was making her fastings and stuff worse the next morning. Um, the other thing to consider is, and this is something that she was kind of bringing up is the, uh, you know, she's like, well, how was my blood sugar? She was checking it sometimes before uh, bed. No, I'm not very often, but sometimes she'd get up before bed reading and she would say it's lower before bed than when I wake and when I wake up, it's even higher. So mm -hmm. how can that possibly be? Um, if she's sleeping and she's resting, shouldn't it come down? And I think that's kind of like a common thought amongst patients, but you know, I kind of explained, like, if you think about it, the, your body needs the sugar to for cellular processes and cellular functions well that's your when you're sleeping that's your time your body's time to kind of repair and get ready for the next day and so your liver stores all this sugar and then it just starts releasing it overnight and it goes in the blood and it's not able to go to the cells where they need to um, for the energy and it just stays in the blood so you wake up it's even higher and um you know i explained it to her probably even more simply than that and she then she understood because at first she was thinking that there was something like wrong with her physiologically or something compared right. to everybody else. So had giving her a little bit of a, a little very, very brief physiology lesson um, sometimes can help because she seemed like she was thankful for somebody taking the time to actually explain some of this to her. Yep. So it was cool. All right. Um, what, what else is cool with this one? You let you've been talking the whole time. Yeah. So, you know, for cost purposes, we'll probably leave her on the Humalog and Levimir. Um, Levimir is twice a day, though preferably one of the long actings like Lantus or um, Traceba is generally preferred. Lower risk of hypoglycemia, um, just more consistent levels throughout the day. You're going to have less peaks and troughs. Um, but that's fine. We'll keep her on that and kind of titrate as we go if we're switching around some meds. Um, I know Mike mentioned that they actually did this, but you could look into, um, depending on the situation, potentially getting a GLP-1 and adding it on in place of the glyburide and actose with the metformin. That would kind of be the, the group of things that you would change um, if they can afford it. So she was able to get on a assistance program, uh, which they were able to get a GLP-1 covered. So they were able to do that. Um, but ideally, that would be that would be good, even in addition to the insulin. Some people think you can't do them together. Uh, you can. Yeah, and so the, the the very first thing that we did do is reduce the get rid of the pioglozone because even even if it's just strictly a cost thing, like that's making she's got reduced ejection fraction heart failure and it was beginning progressively worse. So the pioglozone is definitely not helping. Um, so we got rid of that, and then like you were saying earlier, called the metformin, we added on. There's a really low dose, and then. Um, we were able to get her on the uh, Lily program. Lily Cares is the name of the program that Lily has, um, and get her enrolled in that to get Trulicity. So they're shipping her Trulicity. They Sweet. cover her for like a year. Of awesome. It. Um, so and we so we discontinued the Humalog and started uh, um, started the Trulicity instead because now. And if you guys think about it, the, the I'm actually a big fan of doing this because, one, it cuts down on the number of injections, which is great. She wasn't being adherent. Um, she wasn't keeping consistent meal times. Um, sometimes she wasn't eating breakfast at all. So if you think about, like, a GLP-1, it's only activating when the person actually consumes carbs and when the blood sugar actually spikes. Then it's going to turn on. It's going to um, increase insulin secretion, and it's going to decrease glucagon, which is going to suppress you know, glycogenolysis, gluconeogenesis, um, all those uh, processes that can result in high blood sugars. 
um, as well as, you know, affect her, um, her satiety after a meal. She's going to feel full quicker. She's going to hopefully have some weight loss. So all good things. And we don't have to worry nearly as much about hypoglycemia as we do. So for us now, since we got it covered, that was like a big win because she's, and she was super excited too, because she's, I mean, nobody wants to take four injections a day if they don't have to. I mean, yeah. So getting the Humalog off would be great, even though she's uh, reports being very adherent that would take, you know, 21, 28 injections a week to one. So right. awesome, and we and we just went ahead and had her do the the Levimir just once a day with thirty okay. units instead of fifteen. Gotcha. Just because she was separating it for not really any particular reason. She just she had a friend of hers that was doing that, so she started doing it. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, the other thing is too that, and this is actually something that I don't think a lot of people think about a lot, but the gliburide, the sulfonylurea. Um, you know, if we think about like how a sulfonylurea is working, you know if somebody has insulin resistance or a decrease in insulin secretion, especially like this um, lady would probably have a sulfonylurea is taking the, you know, activating the pancreas and whenever you take one and it's just kind of like squeezing the life out of it for to every, to try to get every last little drop of insulin that it can possibly produce. And, you know, you're putting your, the whole idea of kind of giving insulin and things like that is to, to give the, pancreas a break and to decrease any kind of like glucose toxicity or anything like that that's going on so if i'm giving gliburide on top of that i'm just basically making the work i'm putting stress back on the pancreas and you know causing causing some issues um, long term most likely so so funny is if we can avoid them that's the reason why they're more like fifth line now for the american diabetes association because they're not mechanistically they're not that great of a drug yeah and long term they can lose their effectiveness too for that exact same reason yeah Plus, she's gliburide is the longest acting one. And of so, all the ones, it's really the, yeah, it's the probably worst. the worst. Yeah. <laughs> so it's got um, the most chance of like uh, having like um, a uh, fall risk because of hypoglycemia. Plus, when you're on insulin as well, so it's just all kinds of bad with her. Why do people use clipizide extended release? Clipizide extended release, or yeah. um, they, 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 a I lot mean, of times, because a lot of times they use it once a day, but we even have some patients that use it twice a day. So the idea is just less doses, but I would suppose it would, similar to the longer acting sulfonylurea, it would increase your risk for hypoglycemia more. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen any studies that show like where it's, yeah. they've compared it directly. I've just seen, you know, the ones that look at like just metformin versus sulfonylurea and right. things like that, where you know the metformin blows it out of the water. Right. So stuff like that, where it's just, yeah, they're they're not great. I'm I'm becoming less and less and less of a fan of the yeah. sulfonylureas. I mean, well, we were really... already not a fan, and then it was like, well, maybe they're not so bad. They're cheap and everything's fine. And it's like, well, no, they're they're just not very good. Well, and, and especially the situation that I'm in, I, I feel bad if like for those who are in like primary care that don't have access to the cheaper drugs because right. then you're kind of really limited. With I have a lot more leeway because of the 340B price. Yeah, yeah, I totally get it. With um, wait, I mean. <laughs> you're going to take those risks to get a patient's A1C down if there aren't any other options. Um, but, you know, I, there's no reason for her not to be on metformin at least before even going to those sorts of things. Um, yeah. Anything else for A1C control? That's a, that's kind of what we started. We made this the most changes I've ever made in one visit, but yeah. it was just such a disaster. So, I mean, I would say that that's pretty much the most you want to do in a visit um, and then, like, follow up. I mean, mm-hmm. probably. Uh, three weeks. We yeah, told her three weeks. Two to three weeks would be great. So that's, that's, that's where you would go. And the idea is to, to kind of titrate those things, get the trilicity up to the 1.5, um, titrate the levomere as needed, and hopefully keep her on the trilicity, metformin, levomere going forward. Right. Get it down below. 
I mean, the initial goal is just to, to get it down some and then, you know, bring it down to 7 or 7.5 or whatever you decided the goal was for her. Yeah. Um, so I guess next, acutely, so her blood pressure is 30 to 40 points above goal, whichever guideline you're looking at, pretty consistently. Um, so next visit, if not this visit, probably want to start tackling that. Um, in addition, you'll be able to tackle the um, heart failure right. at the same time. So fortunately, a lot of times with heart failure, when you're maxing these um, blood pressure medications, which we'll talk about a little bit to the goal dose, you have issues with patients' blood pressure going too low. Seems like this lady's got uh, got quite a ways to, to go as far as blood pressure goes. So you've got a lot of room to, to squeeze it. Um, along with that, high blood pressure, heart failure. She's already had an MI. She currently smokes, so she's very high risk for another one. Um, so getting that blood pressure control under control soon, I think is going to be important. Yeah, and if you look at her meds that she's on right now, um, she's taking Losartan 100 milligrams, and she's taking Metoprolol Succinate 50 milligrams. So one of the things that's very common in in a heart failure, and now that I'm saying this out loud, because we talked last time we talked about this in the podcast, somebody else um, emailed us and asked for the reference to this, and I'm not sure that I ever gave it to him on Instagram. <laughs> um, but so I need to look that up again. But uh, there was a study that showed. Um, I want to say it was, I want to say it was JAMA, um, possibly maybe the Annals of Internal Medicine. I, I can't remember, but it, I have to look it up. I have it saved in my computer. But basically, they were showing how many people um, were not controlled with their or not at gold doses, rather with their heart failure, not right. an optimal therapy. And it was like, I want to say like in the like single digit percentages of patients who were actually treated. That's the idea. So. You know, ideally, we would want to start with Acer Arb um, or in, in Tresto as well with Hefref. Ideally, ideally, it would be in Tresto. Right. Um, unfortunately, we don't have, we didn't have any way of getting her in Tresto because um, she's uh, didn't have the insurance. We don't, we even know what 340B, we still can't get that one cheap enough to where she could afford it. And uh, so we're stuck with Acer Arbs, which is fine for the most part. Yeah. Cheap, uh, cheap and well studied anyway. So, yeah. She's on Losartan 100 milligrams, which if you're looking at LexiComp or something is the max dose uh, per the package insert, the, you know, the labeling. However, in heart failure specifically, if you look at the guidelines, they actually recommend Losartan 150. And the reason for that is because there was a study called the HEAL trial that showed that they had uh, the mortality benefit and whatnot with Losartan 150 compared to 50 milligrams. And, um, the drug had already or had just gone off patent as those results kind of came out. So the company didn't want to put up the money to get the label change. So they just kind of have it off label, but the guidelines do include and say um, 150 would be the gold dose for Losartan. And that's, I mean, there's gold doses for multiple, um, multiple things in heart failure, but as far as that goes, like lisinopril, it's not like you go up to, 80 is the recommended dose or anything. It's still like 40 and generally right. they're just... That's the one that's like the this big one that's off-label, right. like not not a normal dose. So if it hasn't been studied, then does it not have a gold dose other than just getting it to the maximally tolerated? They they do push all the the beta blockers, the because um, the beta blockers were studied to a target dose. Right. And then the ACE inhibitors and ARBs usually were pushed to a target dose as well. Or like if you look at like the ATLAS trial where they compared low dose to high dose lisinopril. Mm-hmm. And um, they got the, even though you didn't necessarily need the bend, the blood pressure lowering, which in this patient we do. Right. But um, you still got the added benefit to having, um, as far as outcomes go, for having the higher dose lisinopril. I think they used one, or, uh, they used 35 milligrams. Gotcha. And um, so, yeah, it's kind of, of random dose. Yeah. yeah. 
But um, the so Losartan is, is definitely an option. Um, if we needed to switch to an ace or something, we could. But she's already been on Losartan, so I would just bump it to 150. Yeah. And um, leave it leave it there. Now, the other thing is the metoprolol. So she's on the right version of metoprolol. So metoprolol succinate. That's the one that was studied and shows mortality benefit. But uh, the study that was done that showed the mortality benefit was the Merit HF trial. And um, during that study, they tried to target metoprolol succinate 200 milligrams. So she's not even close to yep. being a goal. Yeah, so you got a little ways to go. Also, um, post-MI, at least early on, being on a beta blocker is good for cardiac remodeling. Remodeling too, she may have initially been started on that for that reason. Right. Uh, and the other two um, evidence-based beta blockers just for completeness sake is carvedilol and uh, bisoprolol, both of which have uh, target doses as well. And so the the thing, the question is, you know, especially when I'm talking like students and things is, you know, how do we choose between beta, those three evidence-based beta blockers? Do we just pick one? Um, so one, um, I look to see if the person needs further blood pressure lowering. So this person does. So I'd actually be a more of a fan of using carvedilol in this patient. Um, if you think about the mechanism, the carvedilol is an alpha beta blocker. And so if we're just using a regular beta blocker, whether it's selective or non-selective, um, we're getting you know the, the, blockade, the blockade on the beta receptors, which is great. But then we have unopposed um, alpha activity, especially in the periphery. So you, that norepinephrine has to bind somewhere. So if we get activation of the uh, alpha receptors, and we're going to probably get vasoconstriction over time in the periphery. So total peripheral resistance goes up. Um, eventually that can outweigh the benefits of the decreased cardiac output and blood pressure could kind of go back up again. So the general kind of rule of thumb is the metoprolol and the bisoprolol would be used if you didn't need as much blood pressure lowering or blood pressure lowering wasn't that big of a, as much of a deal. Um, and the carvedilol is if you do need further blood pressure lowering, that's going to have more effect. Right. Um, and the other, the other caveat would be if the person has COPD, um, as well, bisoprolol has been shown to be a better, um, agent it's more selective uh, i think it's like 14 times more selective for the beta receptors um beta one receptors than the uh then then um what's the word i'm going over metoprolol i think it's only like four times selective so they're, they're both considered selective beta blockers so um copd use bisoprolol if you need blood pressure lowering further then you can use carvedilol otherwise any of those three would be fine just moving to the target doses if it doesn't matter, um, you know, you can look at adherence to metoprolol and bisoprolol are both once daily, carvedilol is twice daily. Might make a difference. Yeah, that's true. Um, otherwise, yeah. So uh, you you would, hopefully that would be the goal going forward with these two. Get them up um, or switch metoprolol to carvedilol since you want more blood pressure lowering. Monitor every couple to four weeks um, as you are with diabetes, looking at their how their blood pressure is ranging. You may also want to check some labs. Um, potassium in particular, if you're bumping that losartan up, and yeah, do we want to start her on spironolactone now, or I mean, go, like go so go with that going forward? That would definitely be the next step, especially if uh, the changes in the blood pressure med, the beta blocker, and the ARB were not enough to get her to goal. So I would definitely say spironolactone. If you think about like the Rails trial, we saw a mortality benefit in HefRef. So that would definitely be the next step. Would be to add on. And goal is, goal for her would be 130 over 80 for yeah. heart failure. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still some contemporaries hanging on to JNC8, I'm seeing. They love it. They do. They can't get enough of it. And they have issues with the new ACCHA guidelines. I'd love to hear them. 
Yeah, well, I'll, I'll I'll show you what I'm talking about later on, but yeah, yeah. still surprised by it. But um, no, it's it's we I see it as well, or I see like one, you know, forty three and be like, yeah, it's good enough. Yeah, yeah, you know, close enough to JNC eight. Yeah, but ugh, oh well. Well, if you haven't, uh, we don't judge. We did a, you know, uh, even though I sounded opinion. just like I was judging. <laughs> I judge. I, I judge a little bit. I was apologizing for Mike. I judge a little bit. It's fine. It's whatever. <laughs> I like you as a person. You're right. <laughs> Just not your providing <laughs> skills. Yeah. Um, so the uh, we, we, that was our first episode, wasn't it? The new blood pressure guidelines because they had just come out at the time. Nostalgia, man. Whew, I bet that episode is awesome. Right, actually, you know, as far as the first ten go, I think that was probably the best of the first ten. I wouldn't. I haven't listened to them. Scared to. Neither have I. But I can just remember, and I remember. <laughs> I think we might remember it differently. I mean, I, I rem- might go back. And I remember to we it. had a couple of guests in there at the beginning, and we only had two mics, and I don't know. It was it was yeah, probably was pretty weird. rough in the beginning. Yeah, and the two mic, the one mic thing was really bad. We were sharing yeah. a mic that was super oh, weird. Well, that was great. That was the best. Oh, man. It's a good old days. Good old now we days. got more mics than we can use. Now. Yeah, now I got two mics sitting here and nobody's even on them. No <laughs> guests. Anyways. Okay. Um, and she's also on the Lasix PRN as needed. So, yes. Cool. No mortality benefit, but helps with symptoms. Yeah. Uh, what else? Mention the cholesterol medicine? No, we did not mention cholesterol medicine. So she's pretty high risk, of course. We kept talking about that. Also, I mean, obviously. So we did mention that she's had one quit attempt, um, apparently, for the smoking she needs to try to quit. Um, there's really, I mean, as far as all these things we're doing, I mean, there are some acute things with the high blood pressure and high A1C, but what's going to lower her risk the most long-term is going to be for her to stop smoking. So we want to attempt at that every time you see her, at least mention it, feel it out, um, you know, motivational interviewing and all that, see what we can do, consider meds if she wants some, and try to get her off of that. Otherwise, the best thing you can do to prevent secondary prevention is the statin she's already on a high intensity um statin which is great but um you know and you probably want to get some cholesterol labs on her just to have a bait just to see what what's going on but there really wouldn't be any reason why you couldn't bump it up to 80 milligrams anyway yeah and that's that's the big thing is uh, 40 milligrams really isn't even the dose that's been studied to show the mortality benefits it's always 80 milligrams for the almost all studies except for like one that had 40 i think it was the ideal trial um the other uh, all the other studies and like tnt is the one that popped into my head um was you know the secondary prevention patients had had some form of coronary artery disease and then they were either put on 10 milligrams of atorvastatin or 80 and the ones that were put on 80 had um, better outcomes the primary uh, outcome of the, you know, the composite that they looked at had a number needed to treat of 45 and so it's there was no difference in adverse effects you know all the all that was was good so 80 milligrams there's no reason to like titrate up a statin in my opinion i'm a much bigger fan of starting high and then if you need to backing the dose down i think we've talked about that several times but yeah something to consider we did hyperlipidemia pretty recently yeah and we did smoking cessation semi-recently did we i don't remember probably 30 episodes ago but yeah Check that one out. Yeah. For all the motivational interviewing tips. Oh, man. So much gold in there. So much gold. So the uh, 80 milligrams of Torvastatin would be what I would go with with her. Yeah. And then her goal LDL, according to the the new 2018 LDL, uh, or dyslipidemia. Really not even new anymore. Because I say that it's July of 2019. They've been out for like nine months. That's true. So now it's just old news. So her her goal, because she has uh, clinical ASCVD, would be less than... Uh, 70 mm-hmm. so even if we pushed her to one to 80 milligrams of the atorva and we couldn't get her down to 70 um her ldl down to 70 we would probably want to look at using the zetia 
is that a mime? Yep. To push it a little bit lower. Yep. Though, patient wants to get off some meds, and um, we want her to get off some meds, especially mm-hmm. when she doesn't need. So we see she's on Plavix and aspirin. Looks almost right because it's like, oh, dual antiplatelet therapy. I think I learned about that. That sounds right. Um, but there's really no indication for it. Uh, she had a MI in October of 2014, but really without stenting or anything like that, there really isn't a reason for her to have been on it in the first place. Um, so it's probably pretty reasonable just to go ahead and stop the Plavix. Boom, just take it off. Um, you can leave her on the aspirin for secondary prevention, but otherwise we're decreasing pill burden, decreasing cost, and decreasing risk of bleeding. So I say just get it off. Yeah, and we couldn't find any reason why she was on that either. I think it was just a medication that was continued on and never never taken off. Right. She did the year um, of dual antiplatelet therapy after she had her PCI from that from her MI. And, oh, she uh, did have PCI? Yeah, back, but that was 2014. Okay, so, and, okay. Yeah. so it was probably continued after that. Then. Yeah, okay. so probably not. I couldn't see any compelling evidence. This is one of those areas, though, that, you know, there may be some cardiology people that are screaming at me right now. You idiot. Well, you know, could, there could be some blah, we don't blah, know. Blah. Some, we, some we don't know going on. Yeah, there too. was other stuff, yeah, in her chart that I wasn't even dealing with this part of it. So when I say we're stopping, she actually is technically still on it because she's following up with her cardiologist that she hadn't seen. So I'm going time. based on what I'm seeing on the paper. Right. But yeah. There, yeah, there could be more of the story. Hopefully uh, he'd give us some more insight, but we didn't have some of that information. But still, there's a lot of things that aren't optimized and yeah, whatnot, so it's not sure. like we're putting all the faith in them. No. We don't have a lot of faith in them at all, actually. Gotta have justification. <laughs> Gotta do it for a reason. She's also on nitroglycerin, so I mean, she probably has, I mean, she, I Got guess, has some angina you know? going on, too, so she, she, there's a little more to it than just what we're seeing here. But she's also on a beta blocker, too, so hopefully that kills two birds with one stone. Yes, especially if you're increasing it, then maybe right. you can look into, which is only as needed and whatnot, but all right. just looking to stop it. All right, so... What else? We got um, the gabapentin she's on. Um, mm-hmm. Still having a little bit of neuropathy pain, but the big thing is, one, it's most likely going to be due to her blood sugar being high for mm-hmm. so long. So hopefully we can get some of that to be, at least be reduced by the time we get her blood sugar under control. Um, the gabapentin, she said, is not really helping that much. Yeah. So I'm actually more of a fan of getting rid of Yeah. So that. I would say another yeah, another long term goal, do some labs, check a B twelve. Yes. See if it's low. Uh, but you're right, it's probably because of the um hyperglycemia. Get it down. If the gap pin's not helping at all, we're looking at extra cost, extra pill burden, also extra weight gain and potentially extra edema. She already has heart failure. So if we can get it that off, that'd be nice. Also, um I'd say Let's get a vitamin D. She's on this vitamin D 50,000 units who, for who knows how long. Um, for vitamin D is okay. It's looking to stop in that until it's low again. More Absolutely. meds we can take off. And if it's still low and she's been taking it this long, we need to looking figure something. out what's going on. Maybe check her parathyroid. Yep. Um, check her renal function. Kidneys, yep. So the, the thing is with this is her renal function is definitely going to be an important thing to look at um liver function too because when you give vitamin d cocalciferol or the ergo cocalciferol you know the vitamin d3 d2 even if it's fifty thousand units that's the vitamin d in its inactive form still has to go through two different hydroxylation reactions the first one's in the liver second one's in the kidney and then it becomes activated or uh, calcitriol is the short name for it yep so we, that's the one that actually is activated and can allow your body to absorb the calcium. What can happen, though, is if in some cases we have patients who, you know, their, their kidney function is low and uh, you know, they've, they're not able to activate this vitamin D 
and we check a calcium level. Calcium level is actually pretty normal, and so we think, oh, well, just, you know, no big deal. They're still obviously absorbing enough calcium, but what could potentially happen is uh, your body is not getting enough calcium, so it's activating your osteoclasts in the bones to break down uh, some of that calcium from the bone and, and uh, you know, reabsorb it back in the system, so it normalizes your calcium levels. However, you've now um, caused the bones to become more brittle, if you will, and the bone mineral density be decreased. And uh, usually when that's going on, parathyroid hormone will be elevated. Um, we should check phosphorus, things like that. Um, the actual term for that is renal osteodystrophy, I believe they're still calling that. But uh, something to consider, kind of all those things are connected, so we got to make sure that we connect the dots. And it may be something as simple as just giving her the vitamin D, right. and it, it'd be fine. But yep. um, making sure we at least check, follow up on the levels. <laughs> Otherwise, um, another change you guys were able to make is, so she has asthma. She, you mentioned she's using albuterol like five times a week, right? Right. Um, might be contributing a little bit to hyperglycemia, right? Possibly, yep. Um, so then with new guidelines, see podcast two episodes ago, um, we can consider Simbaquart PRN for um, asthma in people 12 years and older. You mentioned because of cost, she can't afford two different inhalers, a controller and a um, PRN inhaler. Mm -hmm. So it seems like the Simbacort PRN might be a good alternative to that um, as far as using it less and, um, you know, not having to buy two inhalers. Yeah, and so the the thought process with the Simbacort, other than the fact that there's evidence for it, um, the reason the new guidelines push that is a rescue inhaler instead of the albuterol is because one, the formoterol, the lava, even though it's a long-acting beta agonist, it's actually got an onset of action of around three minutes. So it's going to be very quick, compared, just like albuterol would be. So yes, it lasts for a while, but it has a quick onset. So you're going to get relief from it. The other thing is, is the um, inhaled corticosteroid is also on board. So if we think about the pathophys of uh, asthma, it's an inflammation problem. So we want that steroid on board probably earlier than later. Um, and when we're using it this way, we're decreasing the total exposure to the steroids over time. So then when they compared it to the studies that ended up you know, being responsible for the new guidelines, they showed that uh, when you compare this, this from Motorol um, plus ICS, which, you know, Simbacort is what we ended up using, um, compared to Albuterol, you, you had better outcomes uh, with the lob ICS combo as needed. Yep. So we ended up, because she couldn't afford to do an ICS every day um, and use the albuterol, which I still would have wanted to switch to Simbacort anyway, um, then we just went ahead and did the Simbacort as needed. Called it a day cool. to see how she's doing. And you're able to get it for it cheap. So yes. not everywhere that's going to be able to work out. Right. But Dad, we, we have it, Simbacort specifically worked out so we can get it very cheap. Yeah. So that's good. So I use it to push the new guidelines. So otherwise, she's on Flonase. Sure, whatever. Um, she's on Celexa. Uh, I don't know if she had a psych doctor she was following up with her if that was just you know primary care um that's fine too 40 milligrams once a day yeah no problem with that so the other thing is she just kind of some more context she was saying that she didn't really feel anything from the selexa as far as benefit so my thought process and again this is something that we have to change kind of from multiple visits because there's so much going on here um, my thought process would be um to switch from the selexa to duloxetine because she's also got the neuropathy, mm-hmm. and it's approved for diabetic neuropathy. You're going to get some serotonin activity as well as norepinephrine, and so it may help with the depression as well, mm-hmm. um, but it's definitely going to cover the neuropathy, and that's kind of, again, 
killing two birds with one stone, and we can get rid of the gabapentin, hopefully. Right, yeah, take the gabapentin off. And alternatively, if it's not really working, but she's not depressed. Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, for sure. You might get She was kind of down, but it wasn't like, I mean, horrible depression, but it's something that she probably needed some. She's been on it at a dose of 40 milligrams a day, and she's still depressed. Mm. You're going to look into an alternative either way. Yeah. Also, um, you know, she's post MI, um, Celexa, maybe not the best with heart issues. Um, So, yeah, might be another reason to be able to switch. Technically speaking, post MI, the safest option, at least the one that we have data with, is Sertraline, because we got the sad heart trial. But again, in this particular case, it would probably be okay to give Diloxetine a yeah. shot just because of the other issues. If you can kill two birds, yeah, why not? Um, trazodone, trazodone. I never know how to feel about trazodone, man. Yeah, not a fan, especially two hundred milligrams. See, I'm not a fan, but the justification, which I totally get, is well, it's better than Ambien as far as like risks and stuff like that, especially in elderly people. Don't yeah. get me start on the beers criteria. You had that post recently. What was it that was on there? I think it was like, I always Trazodone was mm-hmm. on there in the new post and it was saying that it was the same uh, risk as like codeine and people over mm-hmm. 65 as far as increased mortality and stuff like that. And I was like, man. But uh, no, it was Tramadol. Oh, Tramadol. Okay, yeah, yeah you're right. Not Trazodone. I was going to say, did I post that? <laughs> yeah, I know it was a TR. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Tramadol. Mind. It was Tramadol, but still, I was like, man, I, you know, I thought that would be a little better than Norco, but no, apparently not. Yeah, and going with Trazodone, there was a meta-analysis that came out not too long ago and, and showed that there is a lot of issues like the orthostatic hypotension that yeah, you get well, with it. They mentioned, they mentioned Trazodone in that, same, in that same post. I can't remember if it was Trazodone or Tramadol, but one of them, I think it was Trazodone, one of them, the increased risk of death came from like hyponatremia or something. Hmm. It's like super random. Not even the reason you would think. I'd have to look at which I one. I have to go was. back and look at that too. I yeah. don't remember my own post. I just remember it was strange, <laughs> and um, I I like to think the trazodone. I'm like, well, it's fine because at least they're not on Ambien, um, but there's issues with it too. Yeah. So there's when what the the question, what um, is good for sleep in the elderly? My answer, I have no idea. Uh, what is good for sleep generally? My answer. I have no idea. So I always kind of stick with one. Have we even t- discussed sleep hygiene? Well, I mean, that, yeah, that's always it. Kind yeah. of looking, you know, when I mentioned it brief, briefly to her, she's uh, reading um, on an iPad. And, uh, you know, so the, which is, sounds great because you want to read instead of like watching TV and things like that. But um, I've actually seen some studies which show that if you're reading on, a, on an iPad screen or a Kindle or something like that, it actually resets your circadian rhythm. I think it was like, two or three hours at like hmm. back um, compared to if you're reading an actual like book that doesn't have any sort of illumination to it. Mm-hmm. Um, now there, there is some, I guess like different screens you can get now that can kind of help with that. But um, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. There's a the screens that don't have as much blue light, but either way. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's right. And generally with reading, apparently you want to make sure you're reading something boring. Like if you're reading something exciting, like, like pharmacotherapy, right? Exactly. <laughs> but if you're reading something that you're interested in, then it actually yeah. could hurt Stimulate your sleep, right? Versus something you're reading that you're not that interested in. So yeah, trazodone. I don't know. Discuss. It yeah. is 200 milligrams. Pretty high dose. You yeah. could even discuss decreasing it. At decreasing least. it like to 100 and seeing how she does. Right. Right. Um, and then the other thing was the diclofenac, mm-hmm. which is taken for presumably the osteoarthritis. Um, the osteoarthritis was a lot, of, a lot in her hip and knees. Um, one diclofenac is when you compare it to other, there was a meta-analysis that came out that compared it to naproxen and I believe ibuprofen, um, but definitely naproxen was one of them. And it showed that it actually had um, more a higher chance of having an MI with diclofenac compared to 
naproxen. I think this lady had an MI. She did. So Great. this would be secondary. Yeah, not good. And uh, the thought process with that, if you know, the, the diclofenac is more so Cox uh, Cox two selective. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm right. I really should have looked that up. Not that right because um, Cox two. Yeah, Celebrex is Cox one. Yeah. Right. Or no, it's Cox. Celebrex is Cox two, and oh. this is most similar to Cox two. Okay, never mind. Um, so diclofenac. <laughs> it's late. Yeah. Diclofenac is, is more truly. similar to um, Cox two inhibitors, and so, and this has been kind of sh- tried to show that it wasn't actually. Um, didn't play out in clinical trials with that precision trial, but um, the thought process for a while was the if you block COX two, then yes, you're going to get some inflammation reduction, and you're going to reduce some of like the um, adverse effects with like the stomach and things like that. However, um, at that point, COX two, you're getting prostacyclin as far as a product, and COX one, you're getting thromboxane. So when you block COX two, you have unopposed thromboxane production which is a vasoconstriction mm. um, vasoconstrictor over time increases you're going to get higher chances of cardiovascular problems mm, great and that was the thought process between like um, when Vilox was taken off the market um, again they tried to show with the precision trial that there was no difference in cardiovascular risk when you compared Celebrex to naproxen and ibuprofen but they used really low doses they you know there's some other sketchy stuff about that trial I've right. talked about it many times but um my thought process would be either to stop the diclofenac and if we had to use an NSAID, maybe um, naproxen and try a lower dose like 375 twice a day and see if that works. But still going to affect your blood pressure. Still not great yeah. to be taken, you know, long term. So one, the duloxetine actually has evidence in hip um, osteoarthritis specifically and uh, will help, you know, again with the neuropathy and all that. So that may help. And then Tylenol is, ugh, it's not a lot of evidence that Tylenol is all that effective either, but um, it may be something to consider, or at least maybe like a topical agent like Voltaren gel, which is still diclofenac, but you won't get the, the same systemic absorption. I mean, you got to give Tylenol a try. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, you know, inset, post-MI, heart, yeah. um, with diabetes, kidneys, uh, multiple reasons why we an inset is just not ideal. Yeah. But, you know. Plus, she's taking aspirin already. So she's Taking trying aspirin. to block. Well, she's block on, the, right now. She's on Plavix and aspirin yeah. and clofenac and Celexa. She's so killing it. Bleed risk all the way. Yeah. Great. Good. Yeah. So this, I think we fixed her. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. So yeah, that's uh, that's kind of all we had for. I know. It was, we said we we're gonna do this in like thirty minutes. I think. Well, we we're, we all we're always like, can we even get a full episode out of this? <laughs> it's like one yeah. hour later. We were going to try to, we were going to hopefully be able to get a full episode. I think we, we think we made it. <laughs> I think we did. So um, I'll post this. Uh, I have some questions too, because I actually gave this case to my uh, PA students. So I have um, some questions at the bottom too, mostly geared towards diabetes. And uh, I think one or two about smoking cessation and asthma. But um, I'll post this on the website under show notes if you guys want to take a look at it. And um, we'd love to hear your thoughts too, like what you would do differently or what you disagree with even and uh yeah tell tell us why jane c it's better than accha because i'm very interested to yeah. know and if you say the di- bring up the diabetes thing that they weren't included in sprint mm. <laughs> you're gonna get my going <laughs> we're gonna talk about the accordion summary <laughs> the re evaluation of the accord Re-hash blood that. pressure yeah we totally talked about that i'm telling you that first episode was good it was solid it was rock it, solid we actually like did some research well, we were like 
well, fresh out of we were like f- spending like all our time with like Dr. I was going to say, I, like that. yeah, I was right off of Dr. Bragg's rotation. And yeah, I, we had probably just gone to a barn grill the day before, yeah. so it was just like it was spewing. Out out we like, yeah, yeah, this is we know the stuff on the top of our heads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two years later, still sort of kind of remember. Right, that. right, exactly. Uh, I had to memorize all the gold doses for the um, uh, blood pressure stuff and heart failure, and I mean I can't remember all of them anymore. So good, good. Got a refresh. Got a refresher. Yep. You got it here, folks. Cool. All right. Well, I guess that's enough for tonight. <laughs> Cole, go home and get some sleep. Yes, sleep time. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, thank you guys for supporting the podcast, the comments, the ratings on iTunes. We appreciate all that. Um, we also have some uh, shirts, hats, mugs, all kinds of cool stuff with our logo on it. Yes. And uh, so it's on our Shopify account, so you can get to that from Instagram. Um, we're also linking like through Facebook and some other stuff, so just keep an eye out for that. And then uh, you know, if you guys have any questions, we'll have our emails in the, the notes, um, as well as you can reach us on any of the social media platforms, as always. So thank you guys so much and we will see you next time later